Welcome to another episode of Fear Not, the podcast that tells us why we're afraid of all the wrong things and oblivious to what can actually kill us. It's episode 10, and it's dedicated to updating you on some of our favorite stories. So here goes. Retrending this week. Oops, we left something important out of our Democratic debate special. More about those 10,000 steps. Sharks keep attacking. There's a winner in Trump versus the squad. One presidential candidate actually fears spreading germs from blowing out birthday candles. And Barry's fear of the week, the NRA again. What mass shootings? That and so much more coming up on Fear Not. Today is gonna be a good day Don't care what anybody else say Oh, I don't need a budget cookie To tell me the way I'm feeling Gonna be a good day A good day Welcome to Fear Not. It's episode 10. I'm Alonzo Bowden and I'm back from a little road trip. Hey, Barry. Hey, so welcome back, Alonzo. I really missed you last week when we were doing that Democratic debate episode. You know, I hate flying solo, man. What were you doing? What was going on? I was in Montreal at Just for Laughs, the big comedy festival. I did a motorcycle trip from Tennessee to West Virginia and then did a show in West Virginia. Joe Rogan's podcast, which is always fun. It's always fun to talk to Joe and his listeners. And check him out on NPR's News Quiz, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. You're doing that this week, This right? is a busy weekend. So I'll be on NPR on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. I will also be at the Chicago Improv in Schaumburg. How about a great read for you? Check out Barry's book, The Culture of Fear, available at Amazon and bookstores everywhere. And you got your special? It's August 23rd. Thanks for the shameless plug, by the way. <laughs> Perfect setup. August 23rd, Amazon Prime, heavy lightweight. How about you? I've got a little bit of news. We hit a milestone this week for the podcast, 10,000 downloads. And, you know, as a sociologist, I make my living looking at numbers. And I saw this crazy stat. I paid a little bit of attention to it. Like 75% of uh, podcasts never make it past episode seven. So we're in that rarefied 25%. Well, I can tell you half of that 75% is comics smoking weed, so they just forget to do episode eight. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everybody, keep those comments and questions coming. That's right. We're on Twitter at FearNotOfficial, or you can email us at FearNotOfficial at gmail.com. Send us your questions, and of course, while you're there, subscribe so you know when our new episodes post. Let's get this thing started. Shark Week on Discovery was over last Sunday. That was August 4th, if you're binge listening. So, of course, what headline did the Orlando Sentinel go with the very next day? Recent Florida shark attacks on the rise. And yes, I said Florida, so this will also double down as our Fear Florida story. But before we tell you all about shark sightings in landlocked Orlando, Florida, here's a clip to remind you of our story from Cape Cod, Massachusetts in Episode 4. Shark attacks have Cape Cod on edge. (laughs) It says Cape Cod is expecting some unwanted visitors this summer. They don't want poor people coming in from Rhode Island. These shark attack stories come up every year about this time around summertime. And Cape Cod is, quote, a global hotspot for great white sharks. My favorite quote from this article is the advice from an unnamed Massachusetts official 
on what to do about the sharks. And it says, stay away from seals and avoid splashing that might attract sharks. See, now the advice I would give is stay away from the ocean. That's where sharks live. In a person's lifetime, the odds of getting attacked and killed by a shark are about 1 in 3.8 million. Meanwhile, the odds of dying from fireworks, that's about 1 in 350,000. So you have a far, far greater chance of dying on the beach from a 4th of July fireworks explosion than you do from getting bitten to death by a great white. And contrary to the mythology that goes back to the movie Jaws, humans aren't the white shark's menu. We're just not on their menu. But we don't taste it. <laughs> For the record, after the Sentinel headline said shark attacks are on the rise, it did go on to say, but that's expected and here's why. Yeah, but then the article started with shark week isn't over for Florida. Ooh, scary. Since the start of 2019, there have been 18 suspected shark attacks. The most recent involved a Nashville man who had his right foot bitten by a shark on Sunday afternoon. On Saturday, two surfers apparently suffered shark bites. The week before, 18-year-old Reed Zipperer was bit on the hand in waist-deep water. And on it goes, listing shark bites until the last one. And this is my all-time favorite, and this is why this doubles down as our Fear Florida story. That same day, Frank O'Rourke, 23 years old, was surfing off Jacksonville Beach when he was attacked by a suspected three to four foot black tip shark. O'Rourke walked to a bar following the attack. How bad is a shark attack when you just get out of the ocean and walk to the bar? Was it really a shark or was it an inflatable shark that some kid was playing with and Mr. O'Rourke might have ingested some chemicals. I'm just saying. That one reminds me of one of my very favorite Fear Florida segments we did. Remember that guy who he got out of jail and he immediately started uh, stealing from cars or breaking into cars? Yeah, Florida, they like to combine their crazy. So I'm out of jail. I'll break into cars in the parking lot. I got bit by a shark. I'll walk over to the bar. I'm, I'm, it's not there, but Barry, we know that bar was named Sharkies. We know the <laughs> name of the bar. All right, here are a few more facts from the article. Florida has the most shark attacks recorded in the world. That's a total of 828 reported incidents since 1837. That's a long time. So some quick math. That's an average of 4.5 a year over 182 years that they've been keeping records. So with 18 so far this year, either bites are on the rise or... Maybe tourists are just more sensitive than they were back in the 1800s. Well, according to shark experts at the University of Florida, the numbers are likely to rise as August and September are two of the highest average months for shark attacks. There are more people on Florida's beaches at the end of the summer, and it coincides with the annual black tip shark migration. So that sounds really terrible, but let me just tell you something about these black tip sharks. This is from the expert at the University of Florida. He says, we don't have a whole lot of fatalities from sharks in Florida, and you'll never get a fatality from a black tip. It's the bigger sharks, like bulls and whites, where that's more common. Well, here are some tips to avoid black tip sharks. Avoid wearing jewelry. The shimmering metals could look like fish scales. Okay, rappers, stay out of the water. Bling attracts sharks. Avoid splashing. It imitates the behavior and sound of a distressed fish. If you can swim without splashing, good for you. Just the guy next to you is going to get eaten. 
Do not swim during low light hours. This is the most common time sharks hunt for food and you can't see where you're going. Swim in groups. That way the slow swimmers will get eaten and you can get away. Finally, do not enter the water with an open wound. Oh, come on. You've seen chum. You're really going to go into the ocean bleeding when there are sharks around. You probably get what you deserve. See, this is why Barry does the serious stuff. I'm no good at this. Let me just add real quick. I'm doing all those, not because you should be afraid of sharks, but because we've heard from a couple of listeners who are really afraid of sharks and say they've seen them close up. Listen, Barry, all you got to do is watch the movie Jaws. Barry, shark attacks, fear or fear not? Fear not the sharks, but leave your shiny jewelry at the hotel. In episode seven, we covered one subject. Trump's go back to where you came from speech. It was one of our most listened to episodes. For those who missed the episode, here's a clip. If you're not happy here, then you can leave. As far as I'm concerned, if you hate our country, if you're not happy here, you can leave. That's classic. And that's what I say all the time. That's what I said in a tweet, which I guess some people think is controversial. A lot of people love it, by the way. A lot of people love it. But if you're not happy in the U.S., If you're complaining all the time, very simply, you can leave. You can leave right now. There's so much here. The first part of everything he said about how bad they are, how evil they are, how they... He could have been talking about himself. That's a good point. And you know what Trump's doing here? This is a standard technique. He's turning reformers into whiners and complainers. And, you know, it's kind of funny when you think about it. Trump's own slogan, make America great again, that's a complaint. It says that America was great, but it's no longer great. Come back if you want. Don't come back. It's okay, too. But if you're not happy, you can leave. Now, that's doublespeak. Actually, that makes no sense at all. But it works because Trump gives himself an escape valve. He adds a line or two, and it makes him sound more reasonable to his base. What it does, it sort of lets them justify their racism. Like, well, we said you go home, but you're welcome to come back. And in one case, you have somebody that comes from Somalia, which is a failed government, a failed state, who left Somalia, who ultimately came here, and now is a congresswoman who's never happy says horrible things about Israel, hates Israel, hates Jews, hates Jews. You know, it's hard to imagine packing more fear in a single sentence than he just did. Fear by association. If you come from a, quote, failed state, you must be unstable yourself. And let me just say, as a Jew, leave us the hell out of this, okay? If the Democrats want to wrap their bows around this group of four people, I'm saying that... They're socialists, definitely. As to whether or not they're communists, I would think they might be. But this isn't what our country is about. Nevertheless, they're free to leave if they want. And there you have another object lesson in how to fearmonger to cover your ass. He's saying others are worse than he is. So he's not that bad. And again, he's connecting Dems to communists and socialists, which is a crucial thing he's doing here. Suddenly, Democrats, including Nancy Pelosi, had to actively support the so-called squad which Republicans and Trump himself then promptly seized on to scaremonger about the entire Democratic Party and calling them socialists. According to Newsweek and a poll by YouGov, it would appear there is a winner in Trump versus the squad. This article in Newsweek came out just uh, a few days ago, 
And the headline, I think, says it all. Donald Trump's approval rating is lower than all four members of the squad. And let me just quote what the article says. U.S. President Donald Trump has a lower approval rating than all four of the squad, a group of progressive Democratic Congresswomen of color he told to go back to their ancestral homelands in a tweet, according to the Economist and YouGov poll. That's The Economist magazine and a polling organization called YouGov. Trump's net approval rating, excluding don't knows, was negative 11. By comparison, the squad also had negative approval ratings, but they were significantly better. So that's the summary from Newsweek of where Trump versus the squad stand right now. I'll admit I'm one of those people that knocks Trump about not getting things done. But Congress, for I don't know how long, has been like the lowest rated thing. They've, they've dropped below ambulance chasing lawyers and they dropped below used car salesmen. So you got to give it to him that he managed to get a lower rating than four people from Congress that no nobody likes Congress, but he's like, oh, but you'll dislike me even more. So is that a win? Are we great again? I don't know if we're great again, but the rest of it was a good point. But here's something that might want to worry Trump and his campaign. The poll shows that the squad has better approval ratings than Trump among independents. That matters for Trump and the election. I think it also matters because the squad, they have ideas and policy, and he's just insulting them. And I think the, the independent voters are looking for something more than a good insult. I think that's right. So Barry, fear or fear not Trump hating the squad? Fear not, it definitely did not hurt them. In episode six, we debunked Fitbit's 10,000 steps or else message on a purely physical basis. Here's where we left you in July. When the headline reads, 10,000 steps a day? How many you really need to boost longevity? I really do know a lot of people who freak out about, about this. I actually have a friend, um, if she's only at 9,000-something, she'll walk around her little house until she gets to 10,000 steps. But it turns out, see, the idea of walking 10,000 steps a day for health goes back decades. Guess where it comes from? I'm going to guess that it comes from somebody selling shoes. Well, in this case, the 10,000 steps can be traced back to a marketing campaign in Japan, and that was to promote a new pedometer. So for some reason, uh, with little research to back this up, 10,000 steps was adopted in the U.S. as the goal to promote for good health. You know what this reminds me of? Remember the 3,000-mile oil change? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Do you know who started that? Who? oil change companies. And people did it. It worked. According to research by Ayman Lee, who's, who's a professor, by the way, of epidemiology at Brigham and Women's uh, Hospital, that's part of the Harvard Medical School in Boston. What Dr. Lee discovered was that women only needed to hit about 4,000 steps a day to receive sun boost in longevity in their lifespan. And recent studies now have found that moderate walking for about 30 minutes a day goes a long way to promoting good health. But catch this, the benefit of walking maxed out. Can I get a drum roll here? Thank you very much. Thank you. Appreciate it. It maxed out at 7,500 steps. Look, what we know for sure is 10,000 is no magic number. So if you don't hit it, stop fretting about it. Go do something productive. And you know what else? They're not saying if you do 12,000, that's bad. So there's no magic number here, and fear not. 
Now we can add the psychological effects to the story. Basically, as it turns out, the psychological effects of these devices may not be helping some people. So according to a Canadian scientist using research out of the University of Oxford, measuring activities to this degree, you know, some people call it gamification, that makes it feel like work rather than fun. It has the potential to discourage you from doing it and certainly bumming you out while you're doing it. The problem with that number 10,000 is that if you do 9,800 steps, you feel like you failed. But you did 9,800 steps. You got off the couch and did something. So for some people, those numbers work because it's a goal and that goal can be an incentive. But yeah, it makes sense that the opposite side of that coin is that for some people, that goal makes it look like a failure because I didn't make it. Some studies have found that there's a short-term positive bump in exercise when people first start using activity trackers, but then the benefits dissipate. Really important point for people to keep in mind, and maybe even more important, a relatively large and long-term clinical trial found that participants wearing fitness trackers lost significantly less weight than those who weren't. So if you're doing it to lose weight, mm, you might want to think twice. And then there's another study that found for adolescents, fitness trackers were demoralizing, largely because they add to peer pressure. And, not surprisingly, when we obsess about our personal health information, that can cause us to lose sleep. Just the work of having to keep looking at your Fitbit, like I see people do, you know, takes the pleasure out of the exercise. I leave mine on an escalator, and then it just sort of counts it, and then I come pick it up when I get back. And See, here's my thing, Barry. I'm waiting, um, because at, when I hit a certain age, mall walking is going to be my workout, and I'm going to make up for every step that I'm not taking now. I'm just going to find a big four-story mall and walk that baby to death. <laughs> okay, Barry, Fitbit, 10,000 steps, fear or fear not. Don't let tech run you. You run the tech. Fear not. It wouldn't be fear not without Barry's fear of the week. This one was obvious given the shootings last weekend, so take it away, Barry. My update fear of the week is all about the NRA. The tragedies in El Paso and in Dayton, Ohio are awful, terrible. It's completely preventable. We'll talk about that more as we go on. The NRA's done it again. They've managed to take a national tragedy and try to deflect attention to anything but their complicity in the problem. Here's a piece of the story that we did way back in episode two. First off, I got this letter here from the NRA. It says, when somebody hits you and attacks your freedoms, you fight back. And right now, hundreds of gun-hating politicians, judges, and media elites are doing everything in their power to destroy your freedom. By the way, I'm glad you're on their mailing list and I'm not. <laughs> this is a thing with them. They're always afraid and it's always on behalf of freedom, right? Mm -hmm. that, that broad, vague boogeyman that they like to use. They're, they're freedom. They're coming after the freedom. What are they afraid of? What are they afraid of? They're afraid of losing their power is what they're afraid of. What they're doing is selling more guns. They're supporting the gun industry that supports them, right? I was sure that they would start to lose some members after past shootings. Like, you know, those mass shootings at Sandy Hook Elementary School, Parkland High School, but they didn't. And they successfully blocked new restrictions. Donald Trump started out saying things that sounded like he might really do something, and then he shifted to the NRA's talking points. He said, 
mental illness and hatred pulls the trigger, not the gun. No, mental illness doesn't. Actually, only about 5% of these crimes are done by people who have diagnosable mental illness. The Washington Post said it this way, Trump could have blamed both lax gun laws and mental health, but instead he chose to suggest it wasn't the guns that were the problem here. It was the kind of phrasing that the National Rifle Association loves. In fact, the NRA's recently installed president also blamed another ridiculous source, violent video games. We're going to talk about this some other time about video games in general, but here's a basic point. Young adults everywhere, they play video games, and they're not killing people. That has come up all over Twitter, that other countries have mental health problems and other countries have violent video games. But we're the only ones where the mass shootings have become normalized. It, it's happened so much. There's a, we, we develop a certain level of numbness and the, the thoughts and prayers line doesn't work anymore. The violent video game theory, the mental health, the lone gunman with no motivation. No one's buying that anymore because it's not true. Uh, except the people who vote in the Senate <laughs> are either buying it or pretending they do. But here are some facts relating to a this whole thing about the NRA. Since that story um, in our earlier episode, the NRA has been under attack like never before, but in the past, like a giant cockroach, they've seemed unkillable. But here's some relative good news. This headline is from the New York Times. Renewed calls for gun control after dual massacres test a deeply divided NRA. Does that mean that as part of the NRA is exercising common sense? I mean, what are we talking about here? The Washington Post is reporting that for the first time, they've lost key veteran supporters in recent months, including lobbyist Christopher Cox, who back-channeled with the White House and lawmakers during previous political crises. They also lost their longtime advertising agency, which helped them draft their responses to past mass shootings. And there are even more battles brewing in court. And finally, last week, three NRA board members resigned, saying they had been sidelined after demanding audits of the organization's spending. That's something that they're not bothered by the shootings, but they are bothered by the shopping sprees. I guess it's okay if, it, if it's going to, you know, shut down the organization or, or whatever, but that, that does say a lot that they're more concerned about the money than the murders. So, Barry, NRA. Fear or fear not? Still fear them, definitely. This update comes from a listener who commented on last week's episode about the Democratic debates. Someone named Gay called us out on Facebook for being biased. She thought that if we're going to designate one candidate as the biggest fear monger in the Democratic debates, we should have also pointed out the candidate who was the least fear mongering. So we aim to correct that tonight. But before we tell you our pick, here's a clip. In case you missed it, the top 20 candidates vying for the Democratic presidential nomination squared off in two debates over the last two nights. And listen, they engaged in a lot of fear-mongering. Governor Hickenlooper, you ran a Facebook ad that warned, quote, socialism is not the answer. Are you saying that Senator Sanders is too extreme to beat President Trump? The Green New Deal makes sure that every American is guaranteed a government job that they want. That is a disaster at the, at the ballot box. You might as well FedEx the election to Donald Trump. 
President Trump. Donald Trump. 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 Donald Trump. Donald Trump. Donald Trump. Donald Trump. Donald Trump. 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 Donald Trump. The word Trump appeared 166 times in the debate, and there was a lot of fear-mongering about him. Trump is a pathological liar. He is a fraud and a phony. Donald Trump disgraces the office of president. I'm running for president because our country is running out of time. It is even bigger than the emergency of the Trump presidency. We need to call out white supremacy for what it is, domestic terrorism. And it poses a threat to the United States of America. We are not leaving it. We are here to stay, and we're certainly not going to leave it to you. That was a lot of fear-mongering. But who was the biggest fear-monger of the two nights? Who wins the Barry Glasner seal of disapproval for using the wrong approach to win an election? Drum roll, please. We have a tie. The first winner of the night is actually CNN. As for the most fear-mongering candidate, who was that? (laughs) Mayor Pete. We have 12 years before we reach the horizon of catastrophe when it comes to our climate. By 2030, the average house in this country will cost half a million bucks, and a woman's right to choose may not even exist. Okay, Barry, so who was it? Who was the least fear-mongering candidate of the debates? Drum roll, please. We're calling it for Cory Booker. We know in this country that our fates are united, that we have a common destiny. The call of this election is the call to unite in common cause and common purpose. I heard the vice president say that. If you got a PhD, you can come right into this country. Well, that's playing into what the Republicans want, to pit some immigrants against other immigrants. Some are from whole countries, and some are from worthy countries. You're dipping into the Kool-Aid, and you don't even know the flavor. Hey, Barry, uh, I will say this. I may not be the biggest Cory Booker supporter, but when he breaks out the Kool-Aid, respect. And it's great that he's not doing a lot of fear-mongering. The New Yorker said it best. Booker looked like he was having a good time, often breaking into a wide smile as he held his own alongside Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Several times, he played the party peacemaker. Well, it's still early, but it's good if he's going positive, if he's looking positive and not going with the fear-mongering, because that's when when Donald Trump wins. So good for Cory Booker on being positive. Standing there smiling, and like I said, he brought the Kool-Aid. I'm happy to say, fear not, Cory Booker, and great job on the debate there, Cory Booker. And as for Gay, our listener, we hope you agree with our choice, and thanks for keeping us honest. Okay, so this one was on our first episode, and I have to tell you, I still get asked questions about this all the time. Last night, actually, I was at a Dodgers game and somebody was asking me. So here's the setup. The headline says, blowing out birthday candles increases cake bacteria by 1,400%. (laughs) That's very scary. This is a great opportunity for, for somebody to make money on this, right? How do you make money on this? It's actually happened. There's a patent that exists for what's called Sanitary Birthday Cake Cover and Candle System, which is a cake holder and a cover that has holes in it for the candles. So if you're listening, you can uh, apparently buy a plastic cover for your birthday cake, and then you put the candles 
into the plastic cover and then you blow out the candles and then you enjoy yourself. Now I'm actually getting nervous. This is what I think. That little kids, okay, when little kids, they're germ factories, right? I had a friend and we were at her kid's birthday party was at one of those places where they bounce around on trampolines and they dive into the, the ball pit. And, they, and she's worried about her kid getting his hands dirty. And I said, you know, when you're not around, your child eats dirt. <laughs> like literally just will scoop up dirt and eat it. So I think the kid will survive. Aren't kids around germs all the time? Is this an unusual occurrence? Yeah, they are, you know. And we have bacteria in our bodies anyway. So what what's going on? So the professor who did this, uh, he's a professor of food safety at Clemson University. And his actual conclusion was a little different than the attention-grabbing headlines. Here's what he said. It's not a big health concern. In reality, if you did this 100,000 times, then the chance of getting sick would probably be very minimal because our mouths are teeming with bacteria and most of them are not harmful anyway. Well, like I said, whether you believe it or not, people ask me, where can you buy those birthday cake um, candle covers to make yourself safe. So, Alonzo, I I mean, I I guess they missed the point of the segment. Well, evidently, so did current U.S. Senator and former governor and 2008-2012 presidential candidate Mitt Romney. And this is from ABC News. A United States senator and recent presidential candidate said he blew out his birthday cake candles one at a time because he was sick. Does that help prevent the spread of germs? According to the ABC story, he was spotted blowing out the candles on his Twinkie birthday cake one by one. He said later that he blew them out that way because he had a cold. Uh, Mitt, just so you know, blowing them out one by one, you're still blowing them out. I was happy to see that in the report they quote someone named Dr. James Campbell, who's a physician at the American Academy of Pediatrics Committee on Infectious Diseases. And he confirmed our information. Here's a quote. Transfer of oral bacteria onto birthday cake icing, while it may seem disgusting, is not likely to cause illness in those who eat the cake. As far as Mitt goes, I got a few things here. First of all, I don't know how you fit that many candles on a Twinkie. I don't know how many people you share your Twinkie with. It's a Twinkie. Mitt, you're worth billions of dollars. Buy two. Just saying. You know, I say stop worrying about it and follow the advice of the pediatrician, and I'm quoting again, keeping kids in a cleanliness bubble is actually bad for their health because it causes their immune systems to become more sensitive to things that cause allergies. Exactly right. Don't lock them up like that. Let them get out. Let them be exposed to some things that's good for them. Now, we get comments, as we've been saying, and someone posted this about the podcast, and I want to emphasize the headline for this five-star review. The headline was, I look forward to it every week. He said it's, the podcast is humorous and sensible and wise, but he has a small caveat. I wish Dr. G, I think that's me, Alonzo. That would be you. Yeah, yeah. I wish Dr. G would include some necessary common sense precautions and some of the fear not items. For example, wouldn't it be better to not blow out birthday candles if someone who's going to eat the cake is immunocompromised? Okay, the article did mention some smart solutions like providing the birthday kid with a separate cupcake and put the candles on that. That would be the multi-twinkie theory there, Mitt. Or my favorite, generally encouraging families with children who are ill not to attend gatherings like birthday parties. We're all in favor, I speak for both of us here, I think, of 
taking common sense precautions like that and protecting people if they're immunocompromised. Yeah, but if they are, then you, you're you protecting your child. Maybe they shouldn't share in a cake. In other words, it's a bunch of kids at a birthday party, and if you know your kid is sensitive, allergic, or whatever, then okay, he or she gets a separate piece of cake or something like that. Again, common sense. So, Barry, birthday candles, fear or fear not? Fear not, attend the party and blow out those candles. That's our show. So, Barry, what are we working on? What are we scared of next week? We're taking on the fear of processed food, of reverse immigration, of Trump's executive orders, and you ready for this? Arabic numerals. If you like what you heard, hell, even if you hated it, just hit the subscribe button, tune in every week, and give us a five-star review to help us rise on the charts. And if you want to see Alonzo live, check out his tour schedule on his website, alonzobowden.com. Follow him on Twitter at Alonzo Bowden and check him out on NPR's news quiz, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. You're doing that this week, This right? is a busy weekend, so I'll be on NPR on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. I will also be at the Chicago Improv in Schaumburg. How about a great read for you? Check out Barry's book, The Culture of Fear, available at Amazon and bookstores everywhere. And as always, if you hear news stories that make your hair stand on end or they sound like someone is trying to fill you with fear, send them to us at fearnotofficial.com or tweet us at fearnotofficial. And we'll see if we can find the truth and let you know. And follow us on social media for the latest information. I'm at Barry Glassner and Alonzo is at Alonzo Bowden on Twitter and at Zofunny on Instagram. And our official podcast account is at fearnotofficial. That's where you can find the links to our personal websites, tour dates, books, and all kinds of things like that. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you next week. Fear Not is a Stone and Company entertainment production hosted by Alonzo Bowden and Dr. Barry Glasner. Executive produced by Scott A. Stone. Produced and edited by Adam Everest. Written by Scott A. Stone, Barry Glasner, and Adam Everest. Alonzo writes stuff too. Don't believe him. Our sound engineer is David I. Legal Beagles, Loeb and Loeb. Crack accountants are 10 key accounting. Special thanks to Gary Brown, Betsy Amster, and Adam's imaginary girlfriend.